Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 6145 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Msibudi Tabisolohuko and Msibudi Makura. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Drones to help protect civilians in South Sudan. Security situation improves across Burundi and African prosecution chiefs meet in Zambia. In economic, Zambia's budget deficit to remain elevated and in sports news, South African tennis star Kevin Anderson breaks into the world top 10. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. All seven opposition leaders who contested Guinea's presidential election against incumbent Alpha Conde say the result should be annulled because of alleged fraud. Their declaration is likely to stoke tension in the West African country. Guinea has a history of political violence, including during the 2010 election that brought Conde to power. Conde, who rose to power in a military coup, is favoured to win a second term. However, the result from Sunday's vote may be close enough to require a second round. In Guinea-Bissau, President José Mario Vaz has formed a new government. The country has been in turmoil since the president fired Prime Minister Domingo Simos Pereira over a series of disputes. The new team includes 15 ministers and 14 secretaries of state, mostly from the previous government and the ruling African Party for the independence of Guinea and Cape Verde. Last month, the president appointed Carlos Correa as acting prime minister, the third such a appointment in a month. Rival factions in Libya have rejected a UN-brokered agreement on the formation of a national unity government. The Tripoli-based General National Congress is refusing to discuss the proposed government until its demands are met for amendments to the UN-proposed plan for Libya. The internationally recognized parliament also dismissed the plan. On Friday, UN Special Envoy Bernardino Leone proposed a unity government aimed at ending years of conflict in Libya, saying it would be headed by Fahiz al-Saraj, a deputy in the Tripoli parliament. UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon has strongly condemned a wave of suicide bombings in Chad this weekend, which killed more than 30 people and injured dozens of others. Ban also expressed dismay that young girls reportedly were used to carry out some of the attacks. Tianpin reports. The five simultaneous suicide bombings took place on Saturday at a market and refugee camp in Bagasola in western Chad. The town is located on the shores of Lake Chad and is home to thousands of Nigerians who have fled the terrorist group Boko Haram. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon has strongly condemned the attacks according to a statement issued by his spokesperson. Mr. Ban also deplored that three young girls reportedly were among the perpetrators. 
The UN chief encouraged leaders to hold a postponed summit of heads of state of Central and West Africa as soon as possible as a means to tackle the terrorism threat in their region and its root causes. And finally, Dutch investigators will today release a final report into Malaysia Airlines Flight MH17, which will be carefully read for any signs that the plane was shot down by Russian-backed Ukrainian rebels. The plane went down over eastern Ukraine in July last year. The Dutch Safety Board's report will also assess whether commercial airlines should have been flying over the war zone and if passengers were conscious as the plane crashed. All 298 passengers on board were killed. Ukraine and many Western countries say Moscow, backed rebels in eastern Ukraine, mistook the Boeing 777 for Ukrainian military aircraft and shot it down with a Russian-made missile system. Moscow and the rebels deny this. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. Unmanned drones used for civilian protection could be taking to the skies of South Sudan following changes to the UN mission's mandate there. The world's youngest nation has been wracked by civil war for the past 18 months, which has left thousands dead and displaced more than 2 million people. More than 200,000 civilians are currently sheltering inside UN bases. The enhanced mandate was recently adopted by the Security Council giving the UN mission on the ground UNMIS more options for monitoring the recent peace agreement. David Lucan spoke to the UNMIS spokesperson. South Sudan is a very difficult country to travel, to patrol, uh, and to be able to move. So what the, the resolution is suggesting, uh, and it's very clearly in its text, is that there should be a use of uh, aerial unmanned um, aircraft, drones, um, in, a, in order to be able to better fulfill the protection of civilian mandate by being able to better know and assess the situation through those unmanned air vehicles, uh, those drones, throughout the country. Again, this is mostly because South Sudan is such a difficult country to access, such a difficult uh, country to, to patrol. Uh, the same drones have been deployed in UN missions in Mali and in eastern DRC, also exactly for the same reason, because it's very hard to patrol and know what is going on just with manpower walking and patrolling an area. What challenge do you think UNMIS will face in in terms of implementing uh, these? Well, I mean, I cannot talk for the government. What I can only say or repeat is what the government has been saying, that it could cause a disagreement and hostility. And I can only comment that from a, from the government uh, position. We will try to find a position and a common ground with the government to be able to deploy the assets that are really necessary uh, to support the mission, to support the work of the mission, to support the men and women of this mission, be they military or civilians. A new element of introducing the mandate of UNMIS is to monitor the, the peace agreement. So in terms of the hybrid court, how do you think UNMIS is going to go come in here? 
I think there are two new things in this mandate, uh, in addition to the four core activities that we've had for the last two years. One is, of course, um, ANMIS is now mandated to participate in the monitoring commission uh, that is going to verify uh, the ceasefire, the peace agreement, uh, support the ceasefire monitoring team, uh, which are currently headed by the regional uh, body of, uh, of IGAD. Uh, according to this resolution, ANMIS shall, and I quote the resolution, actively participate in the work of the joint monitoring event Evaluation Commission. Uh, what we had so far was a, a support to the joint uh, teams of IGAD, which was mostly logistical. So we will be a, a lot more involved in all the monitoring mechanism uh, to assess the, the, the ceasefire. Uh, the other um, issue is uh, about the hybrid um, hybrid court that has been recommended in the AU Peace and Security uh, Commission report, and ANMIS is going to be supporting the establishment of such a court in the framework of transitional justice to be able to ensure that everyone uh, in this war or in this conflict can be accountable to a hybrid court. That was a spokesperson for the UN mission in South Sudan, UNMIS, Ariane Quintia, speaking to UN Radio's David Lucan. The government of Burundi says security situation across the country is generally calm despite reports of criminal acts in the capital, Bujumbura. The country's security minister says steps have been taken by security agencies have been effective since President Pierre Nkurunziza announced a two-month period to restore peace and security in the country. Bernard Bankukira reports from Bujumbura. In a press statement released by the country's Ministry for Security on this Monday, Alengyom Bunyoni, Burundi's Minister for Security, said the population across the country continues with their daily activities peacefully. He, however, recognized the existence of ill-weed people with illegal arms who continue to carry out violent acts and targeted killings. The Ministry of Public Security informed the public that the security situation is generally good throughout the territory of the Republic of Burundi, except in some parts of the capital where are still observed sporadic armed criminals who disrupt security by throwing grenades. Throughout all of the country, people normally go on their daily activities in peace. However, the Ministry of Public Security regrets the persistence of violent crimes, selective killings, mainly inherent to conflict between individuals or associations, land disputes, or other various mobiles. These crimes are often carried out with a few weapons still proliferate among the civilian population. Alengium Bunyoni documented the series of insecurity cases that have characterized the third term of 2015. Among them include the July rebel attack, whose perpetrators are believed to have infiltrated from the neighboring Rwanda. One, attacks of Kabarore and Bukinanyana communes in province Chibitoke coming from neighboring country Rwanda. Two, attempts to disturbance the security of election that were formed by the action of security forces. Three, the discovery of various hidden weapons and some cases of infiltration of criminals. Four, the discovery of lifeless bodies, mainly in some places of the capital, Bujumbura. Five, thrown grenades 
and shooting in some places in Bujumbura town using currently terrorist methods such as this criminal who blew himself on the police members with two grenades and pinned at Mutakura Kata in Chibitoki zone. Six robbery of banks and attack on individuals carrying money. Seven, an abnormal movement of young people moving toward Tanzania. The security forces have been conducting several search operations announcing to seize a number of weapons and other military and police tools. Burundi's security minister says various weapons and ammunitions were seized from the wrong hand, including three rocket launchers, 40 short machine guns and others. The proliferation of arms in the wrong hands that have been the source of insecurity is presented as a serious challenge, prompting security agencies to adopt strategies which, according to him, have been highly effective to a rate of 90%. Some of the weapons, ammunition, Military or police effects seized by the police are following three rocket launcher and five of their bombs, four AK-47, I mean Kalashnikov rifles, 80 grenades, three shotguns, more than 3,000 ammunition and 50 chargers, and some several military or police effects. To all these challenges, we have adopted strategies that have been highly effective. The reported crimes were treated promptly and most criminals were apprehended and brought to justice. For all offenses found by the police, criminal cases treated with all due diligence, thus 305,090 criminal cases were made by the police and sent two different prosecution offices. For these offenses, 3,188 people were arrested and held in custody by the police. One month after the two-month period given by His Excellency, the President of the Republic, to bring security in Qatar's yesterday under insecurity and insurgency, measures taken to achieve this goal have been implemented to more than 90%. Alengion Bunyoni urged the population to dissociate themselves with criminals and unveil them so that they can be brought to justice. Although the government expresses its satisfaction over the progress achieved in securing the country, the capital Bujumbura remains under high tension. Seldom can residents spend a night without gunshots and blasts claiming lives of people. In the night of Sunday to Monday, heavy gunshots and grenade explosions were heard in the opposition stronghold of Musaga in the south of the capital Bujumbura. As witnesses say, two police posts in that area were attacked. As the same sources say two policemen might have been killed, the police spokesman says to have recorded one policeman who sustained minor injuries. A similar attack was reported in the northern neighborhood of Chibitoke, but no damages were recorded. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankokira reporting from Bujumbura. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi.
My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I love you, but my heart is what I'm to say. It's 8.16 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, let's go back in time to today in 2010. The last of 33 miners trapped nearly half a mile underground for more than two months at a caved-in mine in northern Chile are rescued. The miners survived longer than anyone else trapped underground in recorded history. The miners were greeted by a cheering crowd that included Chile's president at the time, Sebastian Pinera. Media from around the world and friends and relatives, many of whom had been camped at the base of the mine in the Atacama Desert for months. Vabaksni Chetty takes us back to that day. All 33 workers trapped for more than two months deep in a Chilean mine have been rescued in a special escape capsule. Their survival story has triggered frenzied celebrations. The miners spent a record 69 days trapped in the mine and for the first 17 days they were all believed to have been dead. Their story of survival has captured global attention. Some 1,500 journalists have been at the mine to report on the rescue operation. Images of the extraordinary rescue have been broadcast around the world. The latest news is that all six rescue workers have now returned to the surface. President Sebastian Piñera joined in the jubilation when the last miner, Louis Urzua, the shift leader, emerged. Because you brought your shift out, you were the last one out like a good captain. And I want to say to you, Don Luis, we are very proud of you and of each and every one of the miners who have given us an example of loyalty and of courage. So I want to thank the thousands of people who helped in this. Long live Chile. Chile's president at the time, Sebastian Piñera, addressing the media from around the world in the Atacama Desert after a mine rescue on this day in 2010. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. There has been mixed reaction from political parties in South Africa's parliament to the decision by the ruling ANC's National General Council for the country to withdraw from the International Criminal Court, the ICC. Some parties say the decision is long overdue, while others say by withdrawing from the ICC, South Africa will be conceding that it bungled its handling of the Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir's debacle. The government in Johannesburg in June. As Lama Matya reports, there are also those who believe the decision will have a negative impact on Africa's quest to have a permanent seat on the UN Security Council. The Freedom Front Plus, the DA and IFP have all described the decision to pull out from the ICC as naive. 
The FF Plus says the decision will have an adverse effect for South Africa on the economic and international front. Party leader Dr. Peter Mulder says this is an indication that South Africa made a mistake by allowing President Omar al-Bashir to leave the country in defiance of a high court order. And I also believe that it will damage South Africa and Africa's arguments to get a permanent seat on the United Security Council that we're doing this type of thing to solve our problems. I really am sad that it was short-sighted. The DA shares these sentiments. The party's federal chairperson, James Self, says the decision will damage South Africa's international standing. Well, we think that um, it would damage uh, our international credibility uh, as a secure um, uh, uh, country with which to do business. And uh, it sends out a very, very unfortunate message about our commitment to eradicate genocide and war crimes, uh, which is the purpose of the International Criminal Court. Um, I think the interpretation that many foreign countries will place on this is that we are unreliable and flaky when it comes to our uh, international commitments. The IFP has described the decision as not being well thought out. IFP MP Albert Mwango says the country's reputation as the champion of human rights will be dented. Definitely this kind of decision, uh, in our view as IFP, was not well thought out because it has ramifications on a number of other international agreements that this country has. You know, um, and the second very fundamental point is that we seem to be lowering our guards on issues of, law, of, of human rights simply because we want to protect uh, our, our uh, relationship with Omar al-Bashir. On the other hand, both the ANC and the APC believe it's about time that South Africa pulled out of the ICC. They believe the International Criminal Court has lost its direction. APC leader Temba Godi explains. That decision was long overdue. Uh, remember that uh, the African Union has taken a position for African countries not to cooperate with the ICC until it, uh, it finds its way. We have also been worried that uh, the ICC seemed to have been used as a political instrument uh, of certain powers and no longer served the original purpose for which we gladly joined it, uh, South Africa and as Africans. ANC caucus spokesperson Mloto Motapo says the move reaffirms the view held by many for African solutions to Africa's problems. In the interest of uh, Africa being central to solution finding to its own problems, it must have its own mechanism to deal with the human rights violations in Africa. And that report by Lula Mamagia in Cape Town. Only 29 of the 54 African countries have ratified the protocol to the African Charter on Human and People's Rights on the establishment of the African Court on Human and People's Rights. 
The ratification was adopted by the Assembly of Heads of State and Government of the African Union in Ouagadougou in June 1998. The Arusha-based African Court on Human and People's Rights is a continental court established by the African Union aimed at ensuring the protection of human and people's rights in Africa. The president of the court, Justice Augustino Ramadani says they will continue to lobby more countries to ratify the protocol. He spoke to Channel Africa's Ntlanta Mahlang. We are going to be even busier if all the 54 African states will ratify the protocol because so far only 29 African states have ratified the protocol. There are about um, 26 20, 25 more to ratify. And then only seven of these states have made the declaration, which allows individuals and NGOs to come to us. And yet we are very busy. For instance, for this year only, up to 31st July of this year, just about seven months, we have had 17 new cases. And these cases are coming from only the seven states which have made the declaration. And not all of them, but they're coming from those seven. So you can imagine, in the just seven months of the year, 17 new cases. And unfortunately, we are not full-time. It is only the president who is full-time in Arusha, because Arusha is the seat of the, of the court. Uh, otherwise, other judges will come to the court for about three weeks, two weeks, and then they will go and... So that is why we're trying our level best, but still because of this uh, ad hoc nature of our meeting, then we, we cannot execute all the cases that we come to us, but we're trying our best. Okay, if you could just tell us the seven countries which have made oh, the declaration. Oh, the seven countries which have made the declaration are the is Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, that is Ivory Coast, Ghana, Malawi, Mali, Rwanda, and the United Republic of Tanzania. Those are the, the seven which have made the declaration. We want South Africa. And how are you going about getting all the other African states to uh, ratify um, the court? The way we have taken it upon ourselves is just we go around and we talk to lawyers, we talk to government officials, we talk to members of the judiciary, we talk to parliamentarians uh, to tell them about ratification and also about making the declaration. For instance, on Monday, when the Pan-African Parliament uh, opened up its session, I was given five minutes, and I used that five minutes to tell members of African Parliament to try to talk to their national executives uh, to ratify the protocol and also to make uh, the declaration. I am going to talk to uh, South African lawyers uh, law associations. I think there are about four of them. I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to sensitize them about South Africa making the declaration because South Africa has ratified but they have not made the declaration and it's a pity that a country like South Africa has not made the declaration allowing the individuals to come to the African court. I don't know what's the matter. And uh, we also go around. For instance I think in July some of my colleagues were in Lesotho uh, we are talking to the Lesotho authorities to 
make the declaration. Uh, Lesotho has ratified, but has not made the declaration. We were in, uh, I think, was it November last year, we were in Zambia. A person that was there in Zambia, we were talking to them about both uh, ratifying the protocol and making the declaration, because Zambia has not done both. Even our colleagues in Kenya, Kenya they have ratified, but they have not made the declaration. Uganda they have ratified, but not made the declaration. And I had the opportunity here when I was uh, when the summit was meeting here uh, in June, July this year. I had the opportunity to talk to President uh, uh, Museveni, and I talked to him about making the declaration. This is how we go around. That was justice. Augustino Ramadani, president of the Arusha-based African Court on Human and People's Rights, speaking to Ntlantla Matlang. It's 8.27 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's go back in time to today in 1981, voters in Egypt participated in a referendum to elect Vice President Hosni Mubarak as the new president one week after the assassination of Anwar Sadat. And that was today in history in the year 1981. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. On this day in 1931, gangster Al Capone is sentenced to 11 years in prison for tax evasion and fined 80,000 U.S. dollars, signaling the downfall of one of the most notorious criminals of the 1920s and 1930s. Alfonso Gabriel Capone was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1899 to Italian immigrants. He was expelled from school at 14, joined the gang and earned his name Scarface after being sliced across the cheek during a fight. And that was today in history in the year 1931. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, reveille Africa, Africa, wema. Sunrise Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from, we are one people. Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
very good morning to you. Opposition leaders who contested in Guinea's presidential election against incumbent Alpha Conde says the result should be annulled because of alleged fraud. Rival factions in Libya have rejected a UN-brokered agreement on the formation of a national unity government and Dutch investigators will today release a final report into Malaysia Airlines Flight MH17, which will be carefully read for any signs that the plane was shot down by Russian-backed Ukrainian rebels. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. About 200 senior prosecutors from 18 African countries are gathering in Livingston, Zambia for the 10th African Prosecutors Association annual general meeting and conference. The conference is held under the theme Africa's capacity to deal with terrorism and human trafficking, the prosecutor's approach and role. Hilda Akekela has more from Livingston. The Zambian government has commended the association for meeting to discuss solutions to the problem of terrorism and human trafficking on the continent. Opening the three-day conference, Justice Minister Ngosa Simbiakola said the conference is timely as no country or continent is immune to the devastating effects that follow the execution of the two crimes. We are all aware of the sheer terror and carnage that terrorist elements have occasioned on innocent lives in Kenya, Somalia, Nigeria, Uganda, to name but a few countries. We are also alive to the sheer numbers of our people being trafficked all over Africa almost on a daily basis on the pretext of promises of better lives elsewhere. Some of them have lost their lives on these perilous journeys to the various destinations. Tasimbiakola said Zambia prescribes to the objectives of the association for fair and fearless prosecution of perpetrators of the two crimes globally and has come up with some initiatives. Some of the relevant statutes that our government has enacted include the Human Trafficking Act of 2008 and the Anti-Terrorism Act of 2007. Our government has gone further to create a national anti-terrorism center which is established under the Terrorism Act. The center is one of the proactive means of of enhancing the alertness of the country. Through the center, one can report any suspicious activities that could relate to terrorism and also any financial transaction that may be suspected of falling under the ambit of financing In her welcoming remarks, Zambia's Acting Director of Public Prosecutions, Mrs. Lillian Shawasioni, said African countries must come with effective and deliberate measures to prevent and combat the crimes, especially those directed at women and children. She said there is need to implement measures that include prevention, stiff punishment, and adequate protection mechanisms to safeguard the rights of victims of terrorism and human trafficking. African countries must come up with strategies to effectively combat these crimes, such as coming up with measures to prevent these crimes, especially in relation to women and children, enacting laws that are anti 
terrorist and anti-human trafficking specific, adopting comprehensive legal standards that are applicable across all our jurisdictions, developing policies and practices to encourage civil participation and cooperation of victims in the prosecution of offenders, enhancing capacity building of investigators and prosecutors, providing requisite tools to investigators, prosecutors, and judicial officers, providing support mechanisms for victims, for example, extended witness protection services, considering granting of residence permits on humanitarian grounds for trafficking victims who cooperate with prosecutors. The delegates are seeking solutions that will lead to Africa's capacity to deal with terrorism and human trafficking. Lined up are topics that relate to formal and informal international cooperation on human trafficking and terrorism, challenges in prosecuting cases of terrorism or human trafficking, as well as the importance of enabling legislation for prosecution of terrorism in Africa. The Africa Prosecutors Association is an organization of African prosecution authorities which was established in 2003 following a realization of the need to enhance cooperation between prosecution agencies and authorities in Africa. It was established as a response to rising transnational criminal activities in Africa which have been found to undermine development, good governance, stability and peace on the continent. It aims to, among others, bolster rule of law responses to crimes, assist prosecutors in the fight against serious crimes, promote efficient international cooperation in prosecuting crimes, promote adherence to prosecutional ethics, and harmonize legislation among states. The association convenes on an annual basis to entrench its objectives and address the growing challenges facing African prosecutors. It's headed by an executive committee whose current president is Dr. Joao Maria Moreira of Mozambique. The presidency is likely to move to Zambia after the annual general meeting scheduled for tomorrow. Reporting for Channel Africa from Livingston in Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Marking the Landmark Security Council Resolution 1325 on the important role of women in conflict management and peacemaking 15 years ago, a new study shows that the gaps in women's participation remains wholly inadequate. A global study in partnership with UN Women presents research showing that peace endures when women can participate meaningfully in peace talks and that countries are more resilient to conflicts and extremism when gender equality is prioritized. Showing Bryce Peace reports. 1325 changed the way the world viewed peace and security, but 15 years later, the role of women continues to be underwhelming, as UN Women's Executive Director Pumzile Mlambongmuka explains. With a higher representation of women, the work of the peace mission becomes a more achievable, it has greater impact, it deters violence against women. It also uh, enables people in the communities that are being supported by the peacekeepers to believe in the peacekeeping, to trust, to report, and to also, uh, in many ways, the, the peacekeepers uh, that are if we have more women uh, become role models for the girls and women in, 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 in that society.
Prior to 1325, only 11% of peace agreements referenced women, now up to 27%. Only 9% of peace negotiators between 1992 and 2011 were women. Women make up a mere 3% of UN peacekeeping missions, while the rise of extremism is seen in places where women tend to be subordinates. Radhika Kumaraswamy is the independent lead author of Preventing Conflict, Transforming Justice, Securing the Peace, the title of the report. This study proves beyond any doubt that women um, actually, uh, their participation in peace processes sustains peace processes for a much longer time. Um, that, I think, is one of the leading research findings, um, that the sustainability is, is much longer. Uh, and therefore, um, the need for our medi mediators, negotiators, facilitators to use this information and therefore ensure that women are part of the peace process. The UN Security Council expected to commemorate Resolution 1325 later Tuesday, Mlambo Nuka again. When we are uh, addressing peace issues, it is not only for those that are involved directly in the fight, it is for the whole of society, members of nations, Security Council and countries in the region where the fight takes place who must pay attention to these kinds of details if they really want the peace to be sustainable. In a world where conflicts and violent extremism pose a quantitative threat to the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals, this report calls for a more substantive role for women in the power structures of society, the result of which would lead to less conflicts, quicker resolutions towards peacemaking, and when achieved, a more sustainable peace than if men had done it alone. I'm Sherwin Bricepies in New York. It's all about Africa as Africa Week kicked off yesterday at UN headquarters in New York. During this special week, the UN showcases the continent's advancement. It's also an opportunity to look at ongoing and emerging challenges. Raul de Melo Cabral is director of the advocacy branch in the office of the UN Special Advisor on Africa. Dian Pen asked him why it was important to devote an entire week to the continent. Africa Week is uh, very important uh, for the United Nations because uh, the Office of Special Advisor on Africa tends to use Africa Week as a platform to bring to the fore most of what Africans uh, themselves are doing in the continent in terms of uh, their development, in terms of creating an integrated continent, in terms of their trade inside the continent, in terms of uh, creating a system where the institutions do work and work properly in terms of having a continent at peace with itself and with the rest of the world. So basically, it's a platform for Africans to showcase what they are doing uh, back home. Tell us, what are some of the highlights? What are some of the themes of some of the meetings, for example? Well, now, for instance, we are discussing with regards to the major aspect of the continental free trade area. As we all know, it's very, very important for Africans to be able to trade inside the continent because it takes quite a long time to trade. For instance, it's easier if you have to import any sort of material from, say, France to the car than to have it from the car to Guinea-Bissau, that is only one and a half hour flight. So that is clearly a barrier. 
We will be discussing clearly one of the most important aspects in the continent that is Africa at peace with itself. There is an agenda that is called silencing the guns because it's very interesting to note that by and large Africa do not produce guns but there are lots of guns proliferating in the continent. That is clearly a source of destabilization, a source of conflict and we don't want to have an Africa in conflict. We want to have an Africa at peace, an Africa without guns because that is the main precondition for Africa development, for human rights, for an integration of more than half of the population in Africa that are women. That is the platform that will allow the young that are the potential for development of Africa. I would say not the development of Africa tomorrow, but actually today. And Mr. Cabral, finally, what does Africa Week hope to achieve? Well, the outcome will be for the international community that are clearly our partners in this process to be very much aware and once again to show that Africans are doing what is required for their own development. They are not waiting for others to do things for themselves. Mr. Cabral, thank you for speaking to United Nations Radio. Happy Africa Week. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Happy Africa Week for all of us. That was Raul Dimelo Cabral, Director of the Advocacy Branch in the Office of the UN Special Advisor on Africa, speaking to Diane Penn in New York. It's 8.43 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now temperatures in Zimbabwe have peaked at 41 degrees Celsius in some parts of the country as the region continues to experience punishing temperatures. Shinganyoka has more from Harare. Street vendors dart between cars at busy intersections, selling their bottled water. Zimbabweans are trying to cool off from the unbearable heat that has drifted north from South Africa. Ah, it's too much. Compared to the previous years, there's a difference. Yeah, yeah, maybe especially in the areas like Bed Bridge. On the bright side, the heat has tripled business for the water vendors. Ah, nowadays it seems it's better than last time. Eh? Yes. But only the problem is us, it's only council. We have problem with the council. Zimbabwe's Met Department has been monitoring the soaring temperatures. It concedes that it's very hot, but says these temperatures don't yet qualify as a heat wave. The Met Department's senior forecaster, Jonathan Chifuna. Oh, we've seen uh, temperatures being in the higher range over the past few days, going up to 41 degrees Celsius over the Limpopo Valley. Also 40 degrees Celsius over the Zambezi Valley, but... Uh, at this time of the year, these uh, temperatures are quite normal. They are high temperatures, but uh, when they are, con- they are continuous life for some period of time, they tend to have a negative effect on, on people. Therefore, the temperatures are with us. This is normal for this time of October. No records have been broken as yet. Violent thunderstorms are expected over the next few days, and they will bring some respite, but then temperatures will rise again. But they'll tend to be generally high. That is in the upper 30s for most of, for most of the time. The news is little relief for Zimbabweans. The Met Department has forecast that there will be late rains this season, a potential blow to the agricultural-based economy. I'm Shinganyoka in Harare. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Thanks, Lulu. 
South African President Jacob Zuma says South Africa needs more black industrialists to boost the country's economy. He was speaking at the 20th anniversary of the Community Investment Venture Holdings in Santon, north of Johannesburg, last night. President Zuma has urged the business people to begin to include poor South Africans in their quest to make profit. This country will never prosper if the majority of the people are not part of the mainstream of the economy. Perhaps only South Africa that we have such a situation where the majority are poor and are not part of the economy. We have opened up a sector that has never been used seriously, the ocean economy. The opportunities are beyond any imagination. South Africa's National Union of Mine Workers has described the coal producer's latest offer as a huge one. It says a number of its branches are currently meeting to discuss whether to accept or reject the re- revised offer. Union members down tools two weeks ago to demand improved salaries. The union leaders and coal producers met yesterday. Noom Heifold, the deputy chairperson, Nelson Rachichi, says the decline will reveal the latest offer. There is a revised offer. Yes, there is a, a number of issues the employers have reviewed their previous uh, offers. So that's why I'm saying I won't be able to divulge yesterday's movement because if I can do that, uh, really I'll be operating outside the organizational principles. But with no doubt, I can rest assure you that there is a huge movement. Rating agency Fitch expects Zambia's budget deficit to remain elevated due to a rapidly falling currency. Fitch says that the ambitious fiscal consolidation plan in Zambia's 2016 budget will prove challenging due to its reliance on raising revenue rather than cutting expenditure. Zambia's finance ministry says it has seen the fiscal deficit to narrowing to 3.8% of gross domestic product in 2016. Botswana President Ian Khama will use some of its $8.5 billion in foreign exchange reserves to stimulate the economy. Botswana in September slashed its 2015 growth of forecasts from 4.9% to 2.6% and said the Southern African country would post a budget deficit this year and next. Diamonds account for around 75% of Botswana's foreign exchange earnings and 30% of gross domestic product. Anheuser Busch Inberv has raised its takeover offer for SAB Miller. This says the world's largest brewer tries to win over its smaller rival to the idea of creating a giant that would make nearly a third of the world's beer. AB Inberv has until Wednesday to launch a formal bid for Sab Miller in what would be the biggest UK company takeover ever. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.30 in South Africa, 10.15 in Botswana, 11.71 in Zambia, 0.65 to the British pound, 0.87 to the euro. Gold won $154, platinum $975 an ounce, brand crude $50, 35 cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. I'm Tabiso Lohoku. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Msubudi Makura.
Thanks, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. South Africa's Kevin Addison became the first South African since Wayne Ferreira 18 years ago to achieve a top 10 world singles ranking in the same week that he was bundled out of the first round of the Japan Open. In breaking the top um, 10 barrier, Anderson will join other South Africans like Eric Stugress as well as Cliff Drysdale, who both made it to fourth position. Wimbledon finalist Kevin Curren, who reached a career fifth position, while Ferreira who made it to sixth place and was in the top 10 over a number of years, as well as Johan Kirk, the only South African to win a Grand Slam singles title when he was successful on two occasions in the Australian Open and made it to eighth in the world. Anderson's rise is something worth celebrating, says tennis, tennis analyst Bruce Davidson. It's a fantastic achievement. Uh, he says uh, it's been a lifelong dream um, and he really you know, credits um, uh, hard work um, uh, through the long journey uh, that has paid off. Uh, he said that, that uh, they try to structure and think um, on that path, him and his coach and uh, the, the support team. Uh, a lot of tennis um, was played. Uh, he got some good wins. He reached uh, uh, a couple of finals. He's won a tournament. He got to some semis. So it's been a very, very sterling effort and a, a stellar season for the 29-year-old South African. Under football news, Sheikhs Mashaba, head coach of the South African senior men's team, has announced he's starting 11 to face Honduras in the second and the final international friendly of the Central American Tour. South Africa meet Honduras at Olympiaco Metropolitan Stadium on Wednesday morning, fired up for another victory, having beaten Costa Rica 1-0 last week Thursday. Mashaba has made three changes to the squad to face Honduras. The three new faces that come in from the first 11 that faced Costa Rica are Jabulani Shongwe, Ayanda Patosi, as well as they come in for Bongani Zungu, George Lebesi, as well as Sibusiso Vilagazi. At the same time, Dr. Danny Jordan, the president of the South African Football Association, says these friendly matches are important for the upcoming AFCON as well as the World Cup qualifiers. I hope they'll do well against Honduras, but that will give them confidence to go into the next series of very, very challenging matches. It's a World Cup qualification. It is the African Cup of Nations, and it is the Chan competition. These are actual official, uh, highly competitive uh, matches that's coming up. Huge challenges. And if our last match was to be Mauritania, and then you go into go into Angola and Cameroon and, and play against these teams without any matches in between, I think it will be disastrous. On football news, Kenyan international and Southampton's midfielder Victor Wanyama has been named as one of the only two Eastern Africa players in the 37-man shortlist for the 2015 Confederation of African Football African Player of the Year Award. Channel Africa's Francis Mutegi filed this report. The Kenyan captain, together with the Senegalese club mate Sadio Mane, have earned their slots in the star-studded list dominated by the players from West and North Africa. In the shortlist unveiled by CAF, Algeria's Desert Foxes boast the highest number of nominees, with six candidates. Reigning African champions Ivory Coast, four while Ghana and Nigeria both claim two players each. Sudan's Modather Al-Tayeb of El-Hilal is the only other Eastern Africa player to make cut in the list alongside Wanyama of Kenya. 
And finally, six-time Olympic champion Usain Bolt has already started his preparations for next year's Rio Games and has sent a warning to his competitors. He thinks he's capable of breaking 19 seconds in the 200 metres. Bolt's record of 19.19 seconds for the 200 metres has stood since the 20th of August 2009, four days after he set the 100-metre record of 9.58 seconds, both at the World Athletics Championships in Berlin. Bolt is seeking to become the first man to win three successive Olympic titles in the sprint events and the 4 by 100 meter relay in Rio. The lanky Jamaican shrugged off a nagging pelvic injury this year to win three golds at the Beijing World Championships in August, which included ending Americans Justin Gatlin's almost two-year unbeaten run over both, uh, over both the 100 as well as the 200 meters. Those are your sports news at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at this hour. Drones to help protect civilians in South Sudan. Security situation improves across Burundi. And African prosecution chiefs meet in Zambia. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine this, for today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzo Ramagaza, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Taking us to the top of an hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Femi Kuti with a song titled Bang Bang. We're gonna make your battery recharge extra. I say everything they correct order. The girl fine, I mean she's so fine. No, her body kai na wahala. Just makes me wonder Her breast be like you don't love Maria I say everything in the correct order She said love me if any don't stop She said squeeze me now now She said love me if any don't stop She said squeeze me now now Too fast. Uh.